weather outside. And we just want to spend some time worshiping you. Admitting to you that uh, we don't have it all together, Lord. And we need you to come into our lives and give us power just to face the day sometimes. Power to heal from those things in our past. And God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you said is available to us to do life. Life on this earth, eventually eternal life. So we ask that you allow us to tap into that power today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a, uh, you've actually got several things in front of you today. There is a registration card. If you would take just a moment and fill that out, Wes, why don't you give us just a little um, reg- registration card music in the background? Um, okay, that's good. Uh, not distracting music. Uh, registration card filling out. And on the back of that is something that I really need from you. It's, I have had, will have in the near future the following hang-ups. Check those things off. Nobody's going to see that unless at the bottom you put, I'd be willing to talk about these things on camera. And by the way, one person last week put, when it says, I hate my blank, one person put, I hate my pastor. (laughs) Matt Johnson. Thank you very much, Matt. Um, Yeah. uh, See? See? I read those things. (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you how you can heal today. From that hurt. Well, he did put just kidding next to it, but smart aleck. Leave a blank and there's no telling what you're going to get there. Even if you're not willing to speak on camera, this gives me a good gauge of the things that we're going to be looking at. um, The hurts that are in the lives of our folks that are here. So that helps me out that way. And then after church, um, you can just put those. Our offering basket is at the back. As you leave, if you'll just put that in there, then uh, I'll get those. Also, you have a postcard that um, some of you should have received these these, this week. If we have your name in our computer, then you should have received it. Um, You can take these. There's one, the one that's on the table is for you. There's some more back at the back. If you know of people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that that you believe could be helped by God through this series, take that and invite them. Um, Because we're going to be doing this for eight weeks. All right? All right. Thank you there, Wes. Appreciate it, bud. Now, I want you to agree or disagree with this statement. Pain is universal. Pain is universal. It just may not always be evident. Do you agree or disagree with that? All right. There are at least, at least 31 different flavors of pain just in this room. And so what we're going to do to demonstrate this fact, we've come up with a list of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we want you to mentally check these off in your mind and kind of keep score. You're not going to have to stand up. You know, if you got the most hurts, you don't have to wave at us or anything like that. Um, we just want you to mentally check off in your mind this list of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You got that there, Donald? There you go. Take off. That's 31 of them. April lost count, so you got to start over. 
Yeah, I should have put all of the above on there, too. I have it on your, your registration cards. Are y'all done? Yeah, now it doesn't work to check them off for your brother. This is for you. You got to do your own. By the way, my brother's here, so he doesn't need to check mine off either. Now, we have devised a magic number that will help you know whether this series applies to you or not. Um, So, in your mind, just think about that number. And and I want you to... uh, to realize how many of these that you have to have in your life before you need God's healing. Anybody got an idea how many that is? What the magic number is? One. one. Now, I'm willing to bet everybody in here had at least one of these. We've been doing this for about three weeks. And I've been asking you guys if there's anybody here who does not have a hurt or a habit or a hang up in their past. And everybody said they did. So that means this is relevant for everyone. What we're going to be going through in the next eight weeks. Uh, there might be one person here that only has one hang up, but I seriously doubt it. Now, you've heard the expression, time heals all wounds, right? It's not true. Time only makes things worse if they're not dealt with. As a pastor, I've talked with folks who, who very often have pains in their, in their past 20, 30, 40 years ago that they're still holding on to. And the truth is, time makes things worse. When, wounds left untended fester and they spread infection throughout your body. And time only extends the pain if the problem isn't dealt with. Here's the good news. The good news is regardless of the problem you need recovery from, whether it's emotional or spiritual or sexual or financial, um, regardless of what that problem is, the steps to recovery are always the same. And we're going to be looking at those eight steps based on God's word. Now, one of the heroes of the Christian faith, his name was Paul. He wrote half the books of the New Testament and he wrote... uh, What you and I feel, I'm guessing you feel this because I feel this, about being out of control. It's in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. It says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to. I do what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws that I'm breaking. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It's the sin inside me that's stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. I can relate to that. Can you relate to that? A little bit later, if you read further on the passage, he says, who can separate me from this body of death, this junk that's going on in my life? And then he gives the answer. He says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there is hope for those people who have uh, pain in their lives. And it comes from God. You need healing from God. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at those eight steps to recovery. And they're all from a famous talk that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter five called the Beatitudes. You can read through it. We'll be referencing it each week. So this first step, the very first step that you've got to 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 understand and take hold of if you're going to get recovery is this. Get help. Admit that you're not God. Get help. Admit that you're not God. We'll spend a little time unpacking that. Matthew 5, 3 says, God blesses those who realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. What this means is I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do wrong things and my life really is unmanageable. Let me give you some examples. Do you ever stay up late when you know you need to sleep? Do you ever drink or eat more calories than your body needs? No, not me. Uh, Do you ever feel you ought to exercise, but you don't? No, not me. All of these are me. Do you ever know the right thing to do, but you don't do it? 
Do you ever know something is wrong, but you do it anyway? Have you ever known you should be unselfish, but you're selfish instead? Have you ever tried to control somebody or something and found out it was uncontrollable? Welcome to the human race. What that means is you and I both need recovery. Well, we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the cause of my problem. We're going to look at the consequences of my problem. And we're going to look at the cure to my problem. The cause of my problem is my sin nature. My sin nature. You want to know what it really boils down to? I want to be God. Same thing that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. They were tempted. And the temptation was, if you eat this fruit, you can be like God. And so they jumped at that. And you and I have been jumping at the same type of temptation ever since. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want somebody telling me what's right, what's wrong. I want to be the boss. I want to be the center of my own universe. I want to make my own rules. And what that really means is that you're playing God. It means you want to be in control. And the more insecure you are, the more driven you are to try to control others and other things. That's called playing God. It's a control issue. And the Bible calls this tendency to do wrong my sin nature. And my sin nature gets me in all kinds of trouble and it gets you in all kinds of trouble. Do things that aren't good for me. I do self-destructive things when I know I shouldn't. And it seems like whenever I try to fix a problem, a lot of times I make the problem worse. You know, the Bible even predicts this. It says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. You ever ask a child, those of your parents, you ever ask a child, why did you do that? I don't know. I mean, if they were really going to be honest with you, they would say, I thought it was a good idea at the time. And, you know, some of us as adults, we're not very far uh, above our children. We do some really dumb things, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. Well, how do we play God? We do that in at least four ways. First, we try to control our image. Anybody practicing image control today? You want to control what other people think of you. You don't want them to know what you're really like. Um, the reason that our families know us so well is we can't pretend 24-7, but you can pretend when somebody's not living in your house. You can pretend um, that you're something that you're not. We, we deny our feelings. Um, you know that, that bumper sticker or the little window sticker that says, ain't scared? That's kind of silly to me. But anyway, you think about that. Guys, so often we deny our feelings. I'm not scared. I'm macho. I'm tough. You know, that type of deal. When in reality, if we would admit it, I mean, the, the women already know that, that we're scared. We're not fooling them. But if we would just admit it, you know, it would help things out. Um, none of us really likes to be scared. Anybody just says, I like to be scared. You like to be scared. You, OK, never mind. We'll, we'll talk about it. that's something you need to recover from. I'm just kidding. Um, I hate to be scared. And, you know, when Janie and I first got married, I would uh, I would scare her. I don't know why she would. If she was the last one to bed, she'd turn off the light and she'd come to bed and I'd crawl under the bed and I'd jump out and grab her legs, you know, that type of thing. She would just scream and I would laugh. And it didn't take me long to realize that that didn't really foster intimacy between me and my wife. And so I cut that out real fast. Um, so now what I do is I scare my son. I can't scare my daughters because they cry. So Caleb all the time. Man, and, you know, when he gets older, what he's going to need to recover from is his dad scaring him. But um, if we would just admit those feelings, it would be a lot easier. People aren't aren't uh, repelled when you admit things. Actually, they're usually attracted to you when you're honest and humble. Another thing we try to do is control other people. Parents try to control their kids. Kids try to control their parents. Wives try to control husbands. Husbands try to control wives. <laughs> Are there any office politics going on where you work? 
People trying to control other countries, trying to control other countries. We use all kinds of things to manipulate each other. We use guilt. Some of you are good at guilt. We use fear, praise sometimes. Some of us use the silent treatment. Some of us use anger and rage. We try to control other people. A third thing we try to control is our problems. We're good at this. We use phrases like, I'm doing fine. We do it all the time at church. How are you doing? I'm great. Great, pastor. How are you? (laughs) And one time, Dwayne told me this, that he started doing this one time, that people started asking him when he was really stressed in his life. They started asking him, how are you? And he's like, I'm sorry. And he said, a lot of times they just keep on going. Okay, good. (laughs) You know, and they've run off. And he said, he just wanted to see. He wanted to be honest with people. And it scared some folks, but other folks were like, well, tell me what's going on. Those are the people that he connected with. Um, When you say, I can handle it, I'm okay, really, I'm fine, I don't need help, and I certainly don't need counseling. You say, I'll work it out on my own. And what I say to you is, right. Ask the people around you how good you're doing working it out on your own. And if they'll be honest with you, they'll tell you, dude, you still got some serious blind spots that you need to work on. We try to control our pain as well. Have you ever thought about how much time we spend running from our pain, trying to avoid it, to deny it, to escape it, reduce it, postpone it? Some of the things we try to postpone it, you know, we might eat or not eat. We might drink, um, smoke. We might do drugs. We might do all kinds of things. We might try getting into a relationship because we think you will make me happy. I've spent my weekend watching movies about Chick flicks, you know, where, you know, they think that if you just get together, you find the right person, you will make me happy. But what happens a lot of times is we're running away from our past. We've not ever unpacked the baggage that's in our life. And what happens is then we get into a marriage and marriage doesn't make your your past go away. What it does is it brings it to the surface. It magnifies what's going on in your life. And then there's all kinds of strife. And then you think, well, if you if you get out of the relationship, you think, dude, you're looking at somebody. You can't make me happy. And that's right. You were designed To be fulfilled by God. If I try to put my wife up there and get fulfillment from my wife, I was designed to be fulfilled by God at the soul level. And she's going to disappoint me and it's going to cause conflict until I realize that my soul is satisfied by God himself, not by my wife. I get that in order, then my other relationships work great. Just ask Janie. When I'm close to God, that's when our relationship is the most satisfying. If you're in a constant state of, of fatigue, then you need to you need to ask yourself what's going on in your life. Now. We looked at the the um, the causes. Now we're going to look at the consequences of trying to play God Four problems that are guaranteed to happen in your life. If you try to play God, the first thing fear. When I try to control everything, I get afraid. When Adam tried to play God, what did he do? Genesis 3.10, he says, I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. We're afraid somebody's going to find out what we're really like. That we're fakes, that we don't have it all together, that we're not perfect. So I don't want to let anybody get real close to me because I don't. It hurts when people find out the truth about me. Isn't that right? We're afraid somebody's going to reject us, not love us or like us because they really don't know what I'm like. A second consequence of playing God is frustration. It's frustrating trying to be the general manager of the universe. Have you ever played that game, you know, in the arcade where the it's a whack-a-mole is what it's called, where the mole comes up and you have the big mallet and you whack it down. And the whole thing is I've watched my kids play it and I've actually tried to help them play it, you know. But when one mole comes up, you hit it and then another one pops up and that's all you're doing is you're spending all your time and energy whacking down moles. 
And it gets really frustrating because something's always popping up. And that's pretty good picture of life. Because you try to you try to put down one problem that you have and another problem pops up, another emotional issue. You knock it down and something else comes up. And uh, that's what we're doing is we're spending all of our time knocking things down. David understood this in the Bible. Psalm 32, three, he said, there was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. If you're frustrated, it's it's a symptom that there's a deeper problem that you've not dealt with. And the deeper problem that you've not dealt with is you're not God. You're trying to control things that only God can control and you're becoming frustrated. A third consequence of playing God is fatigue. Are you back there, Ryan? Bring it up here, man. It's tiring trying to play God, trying to control everything in the universe. Pretending you've got it all together takes a lot of energy. Psalm 32, 4 and 5 says, My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. This TV that Ryan's bringing up here represents a problem in my life. Many times, you and I will try to dress up our problems. All right? We'll carry this thing around, and Ryan might come up and he goes, Yo, Doug, cool TV. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is a cool TV. Picture in picture, it's a good thing. And what I'm, what the problem is, he leaves, and this is my problem, and I'm holding on to it. And I've got to hold this sucker 24-7. And it gets really tired, tiring trying to hold on to this problem all the time. So a lot of folks try to make their problems look good. Back in the high school days, the college days, people would go out drinking and doing drugs and stuff like that. And they say, man, you are so awesome when you're wasted. And the dude says, yeah, man, I can drink with the best of them. There was a guy I dated a girl in college and her brother. Really, I watched him drink a case of beer one night and, and I don't know what was up with the dude. He said it didn't affect him. I'm just going, no way. But you know what he was doing? He was trying to make his problems look cool. He was an alcoholic. 18 years old. And he was hurting. And when when we would get away from other people, he would start telling me what's going on in his life. And his if you could have seen in the spiritual world, I imagine he would walk hunched over because he's been carrying something like this all the time. And it really, really gets tiring carrying your problem and trying to act like it's cool. Because what would happen a lot of times? Thank you. That's about all I can hold. What would happen a lot of times is he would finally get drunk. And he spend the next morning with his arms wrapped around the porcelain throne. And he would say things like, man, I wish I didn't do that. But then the next weekend, rather than try to face his pain, he would try to hide it again and try to act cool. If you're in a constant state of fatigue, ask yourself, what is it that you're trying to get away from? Why are you so tired? What is your problem that you're denying What do you not want to face that motivates you to do insane things to try to medicate or deaden your pain? A fourth consequence is failure. When you try to play God, that's one job description you're guaranteed to fail at. Proverbs 28, 13 says you'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them. Give them up. Then God will show mercy to you. You got to be honest and open about your faults, about your failures. At New Life, one of the things that we've said over and over, that from the beginning, we wanted to make this a safe place where real people came with real hang-ups and they were real honest about those things so that no one would ever reject people. That was our goal from the beginning. And there's not a person in this room who has it all together. We're all weak in different areas. And we've got to learn to be honest with each other. In a few weeks, November 6th, is a Sunday night, we're going to be kicking off our Celebrate Recovery program. 
And this is a program where people come on a weekly basis and they work through these eight steps that we're going to be going over these next eight weeks. They work through these things on a weekly basis with a group of other people that are struggling. And, and then they try to get their act together with a support group. Studying God's word to learn out, learn where real power comes from to change your life. Now, each week of this this series, uh, I'm going to interview real people that have real hurts and real hang ups. And here is Andrea Davis's story. series we're starting called Life Hurts, God Heals, and um, you had indicated to me that, that you've had some pain in, in your life. Would you share um, what really sticks out in your mind when you think about hurts in your past? Probably the thing that that hurt me the, the most would have been uh, probably during my early teen years when I was between 13 and 15, mm-hmm. and um, I grew up, I had a really, really bad home life, and uh, it probably weren't the kind of people that anybody would want to hang around. You probably wouldn't know me. Nobody that I knew then would know me now. (laughs) My dad was an alcoholic. We had physical and mental abuse, and I guess during those years, I was real depressed, and I used to, I used to, every day after school, I would come home, and I would just go to bed and I would cry and I would pray that God wouldn't let me wake up. I didn't ever want to wake up again. And of course I woke up and I couldn't understand why. But that probably, those years were the worst I think I've ever lived through in my whole life. So tell me, what was your lowest point? I can imagine that was. um, That and I, I used to try to take pills and I started taking drugs and anything just to just to not think about what was going on. Just not have to not have to think about it. That was how you kind of dealt with the pain was drugs. Mm-hmm. Did this just affect you or were there others? How how do you see this affecting other people in your life? Um, it affected my I had sisters and brothers, and I guess it bothers me a lot that I didn't do more to influence them in a better way, because if I had been there, maybe they wouldn't have turned out the way they had. If I hadn't just wallowed in self-pity, maybe they would have done something more, or not ended up the way they are now. Well, so are you, where are you in the order of children? Are you the oldest? I'm the oldest. Okay. So you felt a little bit of responsibility yeah. for them. And you said they wouldn't have turned out the way they have. What, what do you mean by that? My sister, she lives with, she's unmarried and she lives with this guy and they do drugs and they sell drugs and um, she doesn't know God. She doesn't think she believes in God. And my brother, he's um, he's real messed up. He doesn't 
he's never had anybody to tell him what's right. And we just sort of turned against each other for a long time. And we're trying to have a relationship, but I feel too guilty to to really want to. I don't know how to act around him. I feel really guilty about the way I the way I did. Okay. Now you said nobody who knew you back then would know you today. What what brought about changes in your life? I think having to become a parent so early did. How old were you? Sixteen. Sixteen? And, and I was that fifteen when I became pregnant with Miriam and then it I don't know, just I couldn't imagine ever doing the things that that happened to me. I couldn't imagine doing this to my child. And um that made a big difference. And that hurt I think that hurt for a long time when I realized how you're supposed to love your children. And I and I thought about how we weren't loved, you know, and that really um, she really changed me a lot. So even now there's still some pain in your life because of what you went through, right? Yeah. I I resent my parents a lot. Especially my dad. He, uh, rather than making sure we had food or clothing, he would drink or leave us with whoever his current fling was so he could do whatever. And when they did hit us or different things, he just acted like he didn't see it. And, you know, it's just, to me, I just. It really bothers me, and I can't hardly even look at him. Right. So, um, what gives you hope for the future? Just knowing that my kids aren't going to grow up that way. <laughs> I know they're going to. They have a stable home life. They're going to have all the love I can possibly give them, and then I know that they're in church every Sunday. That Almost every Sunday we're in church, and I know that they're going to have that firm foundation at least, and they'll know that they'll know there's a God, and they'll know that they're loved, and I know that hopefully the end of the cycle, you know, and from now on there's hope. <laughs> when did you meet God? I met God when I guess I was 20. I really started having a relationship. And um, it was one of those blow you away experiences that you hear about, and it was like I couldn't believe that I missed out on so much. But it was real strong, and I felt His presence. And I've been through my highs and lows, and uh, I'm starting to starting to get back into starting to allow Him to break down my barriers again. And for a while. Uh, I didn't have him in my life, and now, or he was there, but I wasn't listening, you know. Right. And now I'm starting to recover. <laughs> so, um, what was it? Talking about this has has not always been easy for you. What is it that uh, that made you willing to talk this time? Lately, I felt a I felt a really really strong urge to share. Um, I, don't, I guess this is why I felt like I needed to tell somebody. Maybe yeah. it would make a difference in someone else's life. I don't know. Okay. 
What can this church do to help you? How can we how can we give you hope and how can we help you continue to recover? Just already have. Already starting to ever since I've come here I've felt better than I ever have. And just having friends and people I know I can be myself around who won't expect something from me. And to be my friend they won't expect something from me. Right. And I like that a lot. So if, if there was somebody out there um, who was who was hurting and they didn't have a friend, what would you what would you say to them? How, what would be the first step for them? I'd be their friend. You I'd would be, be their, their friend. friend. Yeah. You'd listen. And then I'd let them hear. <laughs> okay. Now, is there anybody who feels repelled by what Andrea shared? No, I know you ladies, about half of you want to run and give her a hug. And that's what we're trying to build, is a place where people can be honest. And one of the things we tend to do, I know I've heard some people say, oh, I'm so glad that you're going to do a series on pain because my friend has lots of pain. And I'll invite my friend. Well, that's. That's projection. You know, you're, you're not wanting to deal with your own problems and you're also denying that you have problems. And that's great. I want you to bring your friends. I'd love to see this place packed out week after week. But you've got to realize that there are some things in your life. And I know people say, I can handle my problem. I'm OK, but I'll, I'll deal with my friend. Well, the fact is, if you could have handled your problem, you would have already done it. You can't handle it on your own or you would have. It would no longer be a problem today if you could handle it on your own. What you're doing is not working. So let's try things God's way. You've, you've heard me, if you've been here very much, you've heard me say that I love the local church. My prayer is that my children will fall in love with the local church. I'm determined that they will not be the, the typical minister's kids. We do lots of things to, to have family time and include our kids in what we're doing. And I want them to fall in love with the local church because I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Jesus established the church when he was here and then he left his work for us to do. But the problem that I've seen in a lot of local churches is that there's a lot of lying going on. And the lying is we put on masks, we go to church, we pretend we've got it all together, we go home, we take the masks off, and then then all hell breaks loose. I want us to build a place where we can be honest here, where if we need to cry, we can cry, where guys don't have to say ain't scared when, when they can actually admit, man, I'm, I'm struggling. And nobody's going to be repelled by that. We've got to do what God tells us to do. And see, I, I've used this verse before, but John 16, says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I want you to notice a couple of things here on earth. You will have pain and sorrow. Jesus is saying it. You're going to have it. But the cool thing is he doesn't stop there. He says, but take heart. That's what we're going to spend the next eight weeks doing, explaining to you why Jesus said we could have hope in the midst of our pain. Well, the next thing is the cure. Look at the cause, the consequences, the cure. Here it is. You ready? Admit that I am powerless. 
Admit that I am powerless. You'd second that, wouldn't you, Jason? Yes, sir. I teach you that in, in rehab. Jason recently com- completed rehab. How many days sober? Um, 94. 94 days sober. Yeah. And he said the first thing they do is they, they help you admit that your life has become unmanageable, that, that there's just a bunch of junk going on. And so this is the first step to getting your act together. Admit you're powerless to do it on your own. You need God and you need other people in order to, to experience complete healing. So here's three facts. Maturity in life comes from recognizing these three facts about life. Number one, I admit that I am powerless to change my past. Every one of us has a past with a lot of hurt in it, with a lot of junk, and we cannot change it. And dwelling over the past is not going to make it any better. I remember it. It hurts. All the resentment in the world is not going to change it. So I have to admit, God, I cannot change my past and just accept it. Second, I admit that I'm powerless to control other people. I try. I like to manipulate people. I use all kinds of gimmicks, but it doesn't work. I'm responsible for my actions, not anyone else's. Third, I admit that I'm powerless to cope with my harmful habits, my behaviors, my actions. Good intentions are not enough. How many times have you tried and failed? Willpower is not enough. You need something more than willpower. You need God's power. And that's what we're going to be talking about. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here's what I want you to take out of this. Grace is the power to change. Grace is the power to change. It's the power that God gives me to make the changes that I want to make and that God wants to make in my life. And for you to recover from hurts, habits and hangups, you have got to be humble. One way that you get God's power You've got to be humble and ask for it. Proud people do not get better. You ever notice that? Proud people don't get better. It's the ones that are humble. So I just want to ask you a couple of questions as we finish up. What needs changing in your life? What hurt or habits or hang-ups have you been trying to ignore? For many of you, this is going to be the hardest step, just admitting that you have a problem. Right, Jason? Just admitting that you have a problem. Once you do that, then you can get help. It's humbling to say, God, I don't have it all together. He knows it. The people around you know it. We just got to admit it. It means being honest and facing a problem that you've wanted to ignore for a long time. So my invitation is join me for these eight weeks so that you can learn how to recover, how to experience healing. Would you just bow your heads for just a moment? And I want to lead you in a prayer, if you would be willing to pray this prayer. It's real simple. You say, God, I'm hurting. If I'm real honest, there's some junk in my past that I've never dealt with. And I don't even know how. But I'm just going to trust you. That if I turn it over to you, you'll walk through my past with me. Not only that, you'll help me to reach out to others who have similar pains that I do. Some of you, it seems kind of strange that you might even think about praying to God. Because you 
you know you don't have a relationship with Him. If you don't have that relationship, would you be willing to pray, God, I'm not sure who you are. I'm not sure I believe in you. But I'll keep coming. I'll keep listening. And as best I know how, I'll turn my life over to you. Because I don't have it all together. And if what you say in your word is true, you do have it all together and you can help Father, I thank you for the chance just to talk about really something that's pretty sensitive to a lot of people. I know, God, if we could look at each other's hearts right now, there'd be lots of scars. There'd be lots of broken hearts and pieces. And it's time we quit trying to walk through life alone. And we do it with the body of Christ like you intended. So God, may this be just the first step of a journey to healing for all of us. And I pray, God, that that each of us would think of somebody to invite who needs to hear a word from you, who needs to be included, who needs a place to belong. And I pray, God, that you you would draw them to this place and that this place would become a place full of grace, a place full of your power where lives are changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed and we're actually a few minutes early. Right? Is my watch right? That never happens. Um,